PitchShot Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies. Interactive Brokers also charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%. They've also got the ability to trade stocks, bonds, futures, options, commodities, and more, all from a single unified platform. Brett and I use Interactive Brokers ourselves, and I honestly have to say that if you spend a considerable amount of time managing your investments, if you're spanning the globe looking for new stocks, I highly recommend using Interactive Brokers as your platform of choice. Restrictions apply, but for more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC, open an account with IBKR today. Hey guys, welcome to Chit Chat Money. Just a quick disclosure for this episode. The YouTube stream broke at about 45 minutes in, so we had to do it into two parts. We're not sure exactly where the audio cut off, so it might look, sound a little wonky there, but we're just going to combine them together and don't think the podcast is going to be that big of a difference. Uh, so yeah, let's get right into it. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour number 89 on Chit Chat Money. Welcome in to anyone listening. I know we have no one joining live yet on YouTube, but these shows do go live every Thursday morning, 9.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Chit Chat Money YouTube channel, which if you're listening on the podcast, it will be in the show notes. You can watch the replays on YouTube. You can listen or follow on live there as well. Or if you'd rather just listen to the audio, uh, go on Spotify, Apple, Wherever you get your podcast, we do not care. But if you want to ask us questions, the only way to do that is in the live chat. Uh, on these shows, we talk about anything in the investing world. Could be specific stocks, could be macro, although we try not to do that because that's where everyone wants to talk about. Uh, could be businesses, could be earnings, could be anything. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. Ryan how are you feeling with stocks pushing towards all-time highs? I think we actually upset. passed it today. Upset. Very upset. I, just for full disclosure, when we closed our fund, we sent money back to our investors. When we were both investors, so a lot of my money was in the fund. And it took forever, basically, to get that money back. And in that time, basically all the stocks I own ripped. Uh, and so I did not get a bunch of the stocks I wanted to own. I, I was not able to buy them in time. And so unfortunately, uh, everyone's doing well but me. It's funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I know we're not, we're not going to talk macro, but we started the fund at the beginning of the fastest and um, it's not an excuse, but it is a funny coincidence because we could have invested better. We made bad decisions on our own in our own right. 
we started the fund at the beginning of the fastest rate hike in history and closed it a month before it sounds like we're going to start easing. So just unfortunate timing all around. But yeah, uh, yeah, it uh, it's not fun to look at. We would have had a good year. Let's just say that a lot of the, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but all we can do is move on. I don't think people want to hear us complain about that every show. Maybe we can say this is officially the last time we complain about that. But one that I'm looking at is Ally Financial that like the thesis seems to be coming to fruition. I I still think it's fairly cheap. So it's one of those debates where, okay, it's not, it's gone up about 30, I think percent, maybe, maybe even 40. I, I haven't looked at the price today and you know, that's quite a bit of return. That's probably two, three years returns of what you, you might expect in something that you own. And you know, I I still think they have a lot of potential. I still think it's a great franchise, but that it's just the debate of okay, is now a good buying opportunity? If I still think it's a high quality business, um, we do have some commenters joining. John Gallegos uh, says good morning. Good morning, John. He says, "What is your current short list of stocks that you're looking at?" Thanks. Uh, we don't have very many notes today, and to be clear, I think he he's not saying shorting. He's saying the stocks that are on our watch list, which I think is actually a perfect question for Ryan and I because we got some cash coming in that we may be uh, buying. Ryan Ryan just mentioned that as yeah, we're it basically actually just showed starting, up this week. So Basically starting the portfolios from scrap. Um, so like starting from scratch, sorry. So it's, uh, yeah, what's at the top of my watch list? Like Brett mentioned, I think Ally's up there. Unfortunately, oh, dude, I just it's a it's, it's up a, uh, seven seven percent again today. Great, almost yeah. to thirty five. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, I, I do think it's. I would be very frustrated if it were like a regional bank I was looking at, and that was happening where it was like one that I wanted to own, where I don't think there's going to be that much growth, and I was like pretty much predicated on valuation. But with Ally, I do think there's a lot of upside and i think they're advantaged so i think it's cheap i think they're going to continue to grow depositors i mean i was looking at it today from 2014 to 2013 they basically their retail bank customers went from 800,000 to 3 million it's a little more crowded today in the digital banking space but still it seems like they have a lot of because they don't have to pay out as much for the physical branches I think that uh, that savings rate advantage is pretty big and it'll help them attract customers gradually. Uh, and I think it basically trades at like six or seven times EPS. Not not actual EPS, but what they could earn if the interest margin begins to increase again. So, And if rates go down, voila, uh, that interest margin should expand or should start to expand slowly. So... Yeah, allies at the top of my list. Coupons up there. Uh, Nelnet's yep, up there. I bought Coupon already. Yeah. What was the other one? Sorry. Nelnet. But I already owned some of those. I'm trying to think of other ones. American Express is probably up there. God, such a bummer. I, that list was so full like three months ago. Uh, and- MX, what, MX is up to 180. Yeah, I mean, that's that's <sighs> kind of fills up my watch list for... Um, financials i guess we maybe hit these first these are the five that i like obviously at the right price and maybe we can discuss which one um 
you think is the most attractive, or we can maybe debate, here's the five. Ally, as Ryan just mentioned, American Express, Discover, Nelnet, Adyen. All five, like, actually, Nelnet hasn't done that well, but... Uh, yeah, those are kind of the ones that I'm looking at uh, that I'd buy at the right price. I think some are kind of close. Discover, I don't know if I'm still sold on it yet, uh, but it's so damn cheap. And uh, Nelnet, as people know, who've listened a long time, we followed along uh, a lot. Adyen is definitely very expensive, but still a high-quality business. I don't know if we'll get that opportunity again, uh, but hey, who knows? Uh, but one of those, I, I think for right now, given the price, Nelnet looks the most attractive to me at a share price of about $88. I think that's right around book value, but let me check. But what what do you think out of those, Ryan? Yeah, it's all concentrated in the financial space. I like all those. That's a, that's a, th- th- I'm, I went through the financials once only. Oh, to start. Were, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's hard to go wrong with that basket approach. The only thing that I'm thinking about here is so if the reason that they're all up a lot lately is that net interest net interest margins should expand because interest rates are coming down, they don't have to pay out as much as savings rates, their cost to their cost for depositors should uh should come down. But with uh with like the delinquencies and the default rates or like the net charge off rate for a lot of these, do you think it really helps to have rates down like slightly in this scenario? Yeah, I, I, no, I agree. Or just I don't a think it changes different. Pro- it doesn't change much. No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine that it changes the net charge off rate all that much. So I, I kind of liked it a little more. Obviously, all else equal, it would have been great to hear this if the prices stayed the same, but I liked it more before this Fed rate announcement because all them it felt like everyone was basically saying, like, like I thought net charge-offs were gonna be kind of stable from here. And I think they'll still be stable from here, but now all the stocks have basically ripped because rates are gonna come down. So we're getting less return. But yeah, and I think the, there was uh, earlier this year there was a higher margin of safety in these financials where net charge-offs could increase, and they had if you bought one with a good balance sheet, like they could, you know, weather the storm. They're not going to have any problem doing that. And then you have that priced in almost, I would say. And then at the other side of things, if things go poorly, like it's kind of like a okay, if things go poorly, we probably don't lose that much money. And then on the other side of things, it's still a good franchise and probably does well. But if we, if, you know, their performance is basically the same as it has been, or maybe even just slightly worse, and they keep growing, the stock is going to do extremely well. But that's kind of generalization. I mean, each one is different. Of course, Adyen isn't actually taking credit risk. It's more of the payment processor. But that one, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move to other sectors i got watch list it just depends how it describes it as a consumer discretionary i guess this is i don't know why they all get separated into this these two but the, these two are on the watch list in uh within there and that is airbnb and coupon now i will say airbnb let's look at its year to date share price 
Uh, one sec. Good audio. Good audio. Year to date, it's up 74%. So, you know, it's not cheap anyway. And I, I'm pretty sure the PE is like 40 now. Uh, the It's not cheap, but coupon, I think, is highly attractive. I wouldn't be surprised if I bought more over the next couple of months. I, I, I really like that one. And we did do, do, do a full show on that one. But Ryan, any thoughts on Airbnb? No, I like Airbnb. I can't really get around the price. Uh, it just feels too expensive. Like at that price, it seems like you should probably just own booking holdings. Right. Similar business. Yeah. We had a question from that as well. Where Tyler, thank you, Tyler, says, wouldn't booking holdings be the better equity to own in this period? They are a gross royalty and travel and hotel spending, which should balloon if we don't have a recession. Yeah. And it looks, I don't have the metrics in front of me. Maybe I can pull them up. The stock is typically has been cheaper than Airbnb, which, you know, like, is Airbnb that much of a better business than booking? No, and booking might might be a better business. I've heard some good arguments that booking is a stronger franchise. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just looking at this list, uh, looking at my own watch list, and there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I once loved, and I just don't find them that attractive anymore at current prices. Sprouts Farmer's Market. Oh. What is going on? I think it's a, it might be, a, it might be, okay, I saw that there was a Goldman Sachs upgrade, but I, I think what's important for a stock like that to always look is it has a very high short interest. So I think that adds some volatility. Yeah, it's just getting kind of to an unreal, or not unreasonable, but the returns look pretty meager on that, in my opinion. And it's one we followed for a while. It's one, it's a business that we think is fine. It's not a great business, but it's fine. But it's trading now at, what's the multiple on it? I can't even remember. I remember looking at it at like $40 and we did, or maybe even high 30s. And we basically said like, maybe we can get above 10% return here. And it's up a lot since. So I don't know. It doesn't feel that attractive to me. One I do okay. like though, no matter. I was going to. Go ahead. I was going to close the book on uh, booking in Airbnb before we move on. Airbnb, EBIT, EBIT, 29.4. So basically 30, booking 16.2. So that's a big difference. We should cover booking on a show. It sounds really attractive. I've heard or I've seen some commentary from the management team. It seems like they're kind of rock solid. So I, I think that would be a fun one to visit. Okay, we want to take another pause today to talk about our friends, Interactive Brokers, otherwise known as IBKR. We love Interactive Brokers. Ryan and I both use Interactive Brokers on a regular basis for our investment accounts. And the reason we love them is because they have the breadth of asset classes and geographical diversification. You can invest in options, bonds, stocks, and in all sorts of markets that you can't find anywhere else, whether it's the Nordics, where we like to research, or down in Latin America, where we also like to research, or in East Asia. You can find stocks that are listed in all these local exchanges, and you can buy them on IBKR, plus so many other features that we've talked about before. If you want to check out IBKR, make sure to go to IBKR.com, member SIPC. If you are a professional investor, if you like doing a lot of research, such as ourselves, which if you listen to our podcast, I think you do, you're going to want to check out IBKR and open and switch your accounts over there today.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Other company, Philip Morris. I still think Philip Morris is in a good spot. And I, you know, just in general, it seems like people are just like, with the whole rate announcement yesterday, and we're still talking about macro, but with the whole rate announcement, it seems like everyone thinks like we're back. Consumer spending is going to like rebound. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. I really don't. I think people's budgets like are still pinched. It's we're not in the same spot we were in 2020. I don't think we're going back to zero. So it, I don't, it feels weird to me that all these travel stocks are kind of bouncing because of this, whatever. Um, Big tech doesn't really interest me that much right now. The bummer is this reminds me of late 2020. Like in, we were, no, not late. Yeah, late 2020. So where basically we had this list of stocks. We wanted to, it was right before we started the fund. A lot of the prices look pretty attractive. And in the four months that we needed to basically assemble the fund, all the valuations just ballooned. Now, <laughs> I feel like I'm in the same situation again. And I don't want to make the same mistake where I've got this list of stocks in my head and I like them no matter what. And I just kind of close my eyes and forget that the valuations have ballooned. So I, I think I'm going to end up going a little more concentrated once I start adding to my investments here. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with being patient and saying, you know, I'll, I'll build out a like if a lot of stuff gets too pricey for me, keep it on the watch list, you know. And over the next six to twelve months, like if you, if it's on a retirement account strategy, there's not the end of the world. I think it's a good lesson that we're trying to learn from that mistake. Don't make that same mistake again. Rush in, have FOMO. Don't say, "Oh, I'm gonna miss out on this thing." And it's like, okay, yeah, you might have missed out on, for example, Ally Financial, but it could also come back. Like, you never know. Two months from now, it could be back to $25 a share and nothing may have changed. But it, if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. There are so many other stocks out there and you just, I think, keep researching until you find them. And yeah, I don't think at this moment, especially because our accounts aren't extremely large uh, as younger people, I don't think it's the end of the world to be more concentrated and deconcentrate over a multi-year period if you get does that make sense, Ryan? Am I explaining that correctly? I know we've talked about that before. Yeah, add, add companies gradually. Like you don't have to, you don't have to set your portfolio and then add money and do it equally across all the positions. Like you can, well, I'm talking to myself here, but I can go kind of two or three companies at the start and add new companies over time as kind of new new money comes in, but. You got a question? Just, um, just bummed. I'm bummed that I'll have to be more selective. It felt, it felt like six months ago we had like, we were, we were kind of rolling in ideas and it was like, where should we put it? Yeah. It's interesting how that can change so quickly. 
you mentioned tobacco. Philip Morris International, I think, is yes, the currency is uncertainty, but I, I do I do like that business. I think it's rock solid. I think there's just literally low risk there. We have a question from John. Uh, it says, "Gents, I have a tobacco basket of Altria British American Tobacco and TPB, which I believe is Turning Point Brands. Haven't looked at them for a couple of years, but so I'm not going to talk about them." Seems like they have been finding the bottom and have great dividends and plenty of time to see them grow. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I kind of like the tobacco stocks if they keep getting discounted versus other stuff versus treasuries that may have lower yield now. Like, of course, I think they're a better opportunity, especially if you're in a uh, non-taxable account and maybe use it as a, you know, a bond-like thing. I think British American tobacco might be the better one at the moment just because of the price. And 10% you know, dividend yield, I believe. Yeah, like, I mean, that's if you just have to treat it like a bond, that's pretty attractive, I think. And I really like the idea, especially if, as you mentioned, if things, if we go into a true rebubble period again, where we see stocks get even more expensive on a general basis and a lot of the stuff on our watch list. You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to buy this thing. Well, instead of sitting in cash or treasuries, you can sit in this thing and you can get an 8% return. And maybe there's, you know, some better opportunities out there. But obviously, if, there's still risk of those businesses too. If we do rebubble, I've, I'm going to make some changes to, <laughs> I'm going to make some changes to my investment approach. I'm going to make sure GARP's going out the window. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no growth at a reasonable price, not 40 times earnings growth at a reasonable price, according to Buffett and stuff like that. That is, you know, 15 times earnings, stuff like that. I know it's so funny to think about that Buffett quote where it's like much better to pay a fair price for a great business than a great price for an okay business kind of thing. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, like then it, is, then it is time. To, it's okay to buy Shopify at 50 times sales then because like, you know, Buffett said this. It's like, remember Cease Candy? What, like, didn't he pay like 12 times earnings? Don't know. I don't know the exact one, but yes, that's what he means and has meant about and a that fair was their, price. It's about, it's about 10 to 15 times. Yeah. That was their compounder that everyone's like, Look what C's did. It's like, yeah, that was 12 times earnings. We're talking, I don't know. I just, I don't want to get back to that period. But yeah, I think I would probably, if we're doing it again, tobacco is probably a good basket. I mean, I like, look, if, if, if valuations across the board explode higher and tobacco doesn't move and then treasuries are much lower, I mean, yeah, those are all else equal. I think those are better opportunities. Yeah, I agree. The uh, it just I don't know. I don't want another rebubble. It doesn't sound fun to me. I like the market that we've had <laughs> over the last three years. Well, we could just embrace it on the podcast and just and talk about all the stocks. It is the, good the for listenership. People people care more when stocks go up. Uh, I just so I, I think tobacco stocks is probably a good place to be. We can talk about all the hype stocks on the show to draw engagement, but my portfolio will reflect probably none of that. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. British American. I like that shareholder yield is like 
14% right now. It's pretty attractive. And they're not going to have to pay that much taxes because of that ridiculous goodwill write down they had. Yeah, which was basically already priced in. That reaction to that was a bit strange. Question from Tyler. We got two. Actually, got three. Just added here. Uh, have you guys looked into home builders? Yes, we did last year, uh, probably at the right time, but don't really like the business model too much. He says they might be interesting here given the long-term housing shortage in the States and a potential trend back towards affordability. Yeah, one thing is I'd say on the housing shortage is the predictions from and the estimates from all of the different economists are so wide that I don't think any number is reliable. Some people say there's a 6 million housing shortage. Some say there's no shortage. Some say it's a 2 million units shortage. So I would say that no one knows uh, exactly what the shortage is. There's too many variables here. And also, we don't know what immigration is going to be, what population growth rates are going to be, all that good stuff. There's There's way too many variables. But... At the right price, a good home builder like NVR, I think, is a durable business. They have a little bit of an advantage model, but I would say in general, after looking at all those companies, the cash flow, I think, like can, the cash flow conversion and how a lot of stuff gets stuck on the balance sheet is is a cons- it's a concern to me. And it's not the type of business I like. I like one that has consistent cash flow generation that's just kind of my style but well it's not with nvr it's different because of the the way they buy the land but like the the options agreements they don't they don't have the inventory on their balance sheet that much but yeah it's it's better but it's it's still if i remember still not ideal well, i could yeah. be remembering them wrong though it uh yeah we missed i think we missed on nvr and but we had reasonable i mean what stock's probably up double or triple since we looked at it but i remember we were thinking basically like we don't know what home prices are going to do and if home prices come down or their average selling price comes down then you know we're in a basically it's going to be a uh we don't know what's going to happen to margins but i think we're looking at it too much on like a general basis like housing prices across the country. Whereas some of these are, if you're like a first time move up or a first time home producer, like I think NVR is in certain geographies, I really don't think the general housing environment is going to affect them that much or affect the average selling prices, which it seems to be the case. And they've done quite well in spite of it. So I, I, I yeah, I think house home builders, I wish we would have. Uh, I wish I would have considered them a little more seriously back a year ago. Probably a little bit more difficult now, but yeah, I like them. NVR, DFH, or Dreamfinders Homes. Both those are good. The other thing I will say though, they uh, the options model that they use, where it's like, how, what's the term? It's like a land option. Basically, they don't buy the land. Someone else holds it. They have the option to buy it basically right before they sell the house. So, And then they pay like a fee for it. I like that, but it's not that unique now. Pretty much all the home builders, except for a couple, implement that in some way. So I'm not sure that's like the big advantage that it has been for NVR since like 2000. So wouldn't, wouldn't expect the returns to mirror what NVR has produced over the last two decades. Other questions here. 
Oh, I was oh. going to say some on home builders before, uh, before. For reference MVR late last year, PE was below 10. Uh, and now we're back up to about 15. I think home builders are just all LSQL. If you, it, obviously, the moat with MBR seems good, great management, all that good stuff. I just don't think it's a good, in, it's not the industry that, it's, it's, it's just not the best industry. Yeah. Maybe. What, you just don't like the work? I'd rather have stuff? something that's a take rate. Look, all LSQL, I'd rather own Airbnb, Booking, and Expedia. Maybe not Expedia. I don't know. But, like, you want to take rate on stuff like that. You want, all you, I'd rather own Visa, MasterCard, American Express. Like, don't, I want asset light businesses. All LSQL. And yeah, know, these but, can claim asset else, light. But. All else is never equal with these. You know what I mean? Like, these valuations are never the same. American Express. Sure. Okay. Amex, I'll give it to you. And American Express at this point is probably more like 20, 20 times earnings, but like Visa and MasterCard, those aren't trading at, those are not trading below 10 times ever. True. The, uh, John says, Brett, what do you consider the best industry, the most asset light? Well, I like, oh, uh, well, the best industry, it's hard to maybe sector is, the best way to do about it. I mean, the payments networks are extremely attractive. I would say that any sort of online platform is also extremely attractive, right? Like YouTube, Instagram, stuff like that. That's, I, I think, fantastic. It's kind of hard to go off the top of my head, but I love the kind of e-commerce platforms around the world too. Amazon, Coupon, Mercado Libre, not Jumia. That was a scam. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think those are good. Any any not a scam? Off the top of the head for you? I failed. There's what is what did uh, Trevor Milton say when they uh, in his trial? It was like uh, he said like trying to be an entrepreneur isn't a crime. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, committing crimes is a crime as an entrepreneur. Uh, oh, oh, other one, other one. Um, C CPG businesses that now some people might argue Ozempic is about to disrupt this whole thing, but this brings us back to the nicotine pouches. Why were we were so attracted, why we've been talking about them for three to four years. We actually just had a good interview with Spencer Sabelli talking about a, kind of way to play that uh, with this company that does online stores within that. But yeah, I think those type of businesses are attractive because you have a consistent customer uh, with a specific brand, specific taste, and it can be durable and the margins can be good and you bring cash out of the business that you can return to shareholders. I mean, just think of the businesses that Buffett has bought over the years, right? Seize Candy, American Express, Coca-Cola, Apple, and then also high quality if we go outside of asset light are ones that have just an infrastructure moat because obviously those e-commerce platforms don't aren't asset light but the vertically integrated like e-commerce platforms such as coupon and amazon and mercado libre i think are fantastic businesses as well in the best industries where it's you're going to build out one set of infrastructure and then the economy or civilization is not going to accept 10 because who's going to build 10 railroads through all the towns, right? That's why the railroads are also highly attractive yeah. businesses too. It is. Yeah. 
I was looking through that Mobison list. It's like his wide mo business list and it's 98 companies. And I remember just going through each one thinking the big commonality and the big advantage between a lot of them is either scarce assets. So like there's a lot of airports and stuff like that, where it was probably purchased from a government or like a, there was like a government auction for them way back when, especially with the Mexican airports. Scarce assets where either you can't reproduce it or it's not, doesn't make any economic sense. So airports is one, railroads, you probably can't at this point reproduce it. And cell towers is another one, American Tower, Crown Castle. There's so many zoning rules that it's hard to reproduce the network they've built. And then the other one was a lot of the companies that showed up on this wide moat list, it was just companies that had built out massive uh, either a massive logistics footprint or tons of infrastructure over like three decades amazon's probably the one that comes to mind here where they have been plowing so much money into capex over the last 20 what almost 30 years now that it's so hard for anyone to reproduce that and even if you do like you have to have the revenue to back it up in order to finance all the capex like it's i think the yeah situations like that like you said where people companies have built up massive infrastructure over a couple of decades those are big advantages and I, that, that list the average returns were all like rock solid yeah i think a lot of yeah, it has big, to do with that infrastructure and the big question always as an investor in these companies is not what was the mode in the past it's Will the moat stay the same? Will the moat deteriorate? Will the moat expand over the next five to ten years? As and I guess we, we just we're talking luxury this month. Those are also wide moat businesses. I think that are a great industry to look at. Although there's only a few companies out there, a lot of them are private. And then the last one I will put down is what I would call enterprise or worker software. I would maybe specifically put it more to like employee. Uh, or software that people use within an industry. The core examples here for any anyone knows like Excel, right? That's an incredible business, just giving the switching costs, giving what I would describe even as a network effect, where you're, you're if you're doing any sort of file sharing, you know, especially within the cloud and all the the shared file tools that everyone has now. And then another example is Autodesk products, which are fantastic businesses because again, the shared nature, the switching costs, the learning curve. You also have the resume, Adobe's products. The resume moat. The resume mode. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're putting it on the resume, if if you have to put it on the resume to get into the workforce, like, okay, I'm proficient in whatever your specific industry's software is, then it's, it's got to be pretty hard to replace because the company probably has a whole bunch of whatever it is, architects, engineers using the same software. They just don't want to switch. So the I think, I don't know if that's, can we say we coined that, the resume mode? I think other people have, but I think we are, we, we've talked about that a lot. And yeah, I don't know if that specific term, maybe you can, you can take claim there. Salesforce step type stuff is a good example, although all these companies seem to spend a lot and uh, <laughs> uh, have frustrating management teams and capital allocation, but. I will. Okay. Best businesses, highest quality. I do think software is in there. There is just a plague of expenses. There's an issue. There's it's, 
spread throughout the entire software industry. And I've now having worked in a software business for like three weeks, I got to say, these things are good businesses. Like at the core, the incremental cost once a customer has signed on is very low. Like if you have a sticky product or a sticky platform that your customers are going to continuously use, very, very good businesses. And I just have to believe that Salesforce, Autodesk, Adobe, they could have significantly higher margins. They just have an expense problem. Yeah. I think Adobe might have extremely high margins. So maybe we're tossing they have 40, they 40%, be, but... they have 40% for cash flow margins or operating cash flow margins, but they spend 13% of sales on like stock based comp. Yeah. Let's look at true operating margin. How about that gap? Which no one likes to talk about. 27? 34, 34, 34, although it's a little, eh, yeah, it, it has trended higher over the last 10 years. So kudos on them. All right. I have another topic. Chinese stocks. Seen a lot of talk about them lately uh, uh, because, well, China's back. you'll never guess. What? China's back. Uh, no, the stocks, you'll never be surprised, are falling. Uh, if we look at, let's look at the price of both the favorite ones among all these people out there. Uh, JD.com and Alibaba seems to be the value investor camp. Over the last five years, they are both pretty much to all-time lows for the last five years. And both are down about 75%. And we'll look at the PE ratios. Uh, let's get the number here. Obviously, these can be wrong. We're just an aggregator. Both of the PE ratios are around 10. I think this that's a proper discount for the geopolitical risk, right? It doesn't mean I'd want to buy these things. But when people argue that like these deserve to trade at 20 times earnings, I just don't get the hype around these things still. Like, of course they should trade at a discount, right? Like the, the country is saying. They traded at a discount five years ago. Where did the cash go? Yeah. There's, I think they should. Yes, you're right. They deserve to trade at a discount. How I, I honestly, if you look at the cash flow from these businesses over the last five years and see where they ended up, like where, where most of the cash went, I, I'd be curious. Yeah. I don't well, think, I don't I, think it, it came back to shareholders. Yeah. I mean, I'll, it, if you do all the some of the parts stuff with Alibaba, uh, basically so many people argue that it's the cheapest large cap stock in the world. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that makes complete sense. It's like, do you follow the story? Wasn't do you the follow what country they are operating in? Who did the, I think it was Willis Cap on Twitter, did like, here's my Alibaba DCF. And it was like all the cash flow that it generates over like 10 years. Then it said like, Cash flow paid to government, cash flow available to shareholders is like zero dollars, like a hundred percent good, whatever. Yeah, it just feels. Yeah, I. It, it's pretty easy to just say no for me with China. I've never understood. Like, I don't know. Doesn't yeah, there's doesn't really interest me. And then on beyond just the geopolitical risk, it's a very different like consumer. They they very different habits. It's a 
country I've never been to, a country I frankly don't understand that well. And there's been so many like fraud cases that for me, it's a little hard to like, if a company's saying, this is how relevant we are within the country, here's our numbers, here's our revenue, here's our market share, that kind of thing. It's hard for me to say like, oh yeah, I believe that it seems valid because I, you don't have any boots on the ground. You don't get a sense of whether or not their relevance is real. You see, you saw that in a big way with uh, Walking Coffee. Like they talked about stealing all the share, and now the stock's done quite well since since post fraud. Uh, where it's like, I think if you were there, you could maybe understand. You would maybe have a better sense of whether or not all that success they were hyping up in their investor presentations was legit. Yeah, that's fair. And I will say if people are comfortable with the geopolitical risk, I don't understand why you wouldn't just buy Taiwan Semiconductor. Because if that's what you're comfortable with, why don't you buy the one maybe the widest moat business in the world? Doesn't have the discount, maybe? I don't know. I honestly don't well, know. Well, maybe not Taiwan anymore. Yeah. I don't know what their multiple looks like. Maybe, maybe it's worth the, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's worth the risk. 10 times earnings, Alibaba. Yeah. Like if, maybe things it is don't, if things don't get worse for them and if geopolitical, uh, I don't know, turmoil situation is kind of at its worst, there could certainly be good returns there. Yeah, but I think this is a much more like what I think they should be trading at versus before when they were at premiums to do Western democracies. They were at premiums. Well, at some point. Yeah. Just because the growth rate, the uh, China, people love China stocks like five, ten, five, six years ago. We yeah. brought up Taiwan semi and we talked about Buffett earlier. Did you see this stuff about, it's like a Berkshire lawsuit. It's not the one, it's not the issues that they're having with the pilot drama, but it's like this. Apparently, Buffett entered into this agreement where he owns, he owned like 40% of some business. And it was basically in six years, we'll buy the remainder from you at 10 times earnings. And now, which they said in advance. And now they've got these like the management's trying to boost short-term earnings for the year as as much as they can. Like they've got the, these this deals. Is, this is the pilot thing, right? No. Well, that's exactly what's happened with pilot too. Wait, that, you, the, that might I be. They, I think that's I thought the name they of weren't the like the pilots weren't getting paid. No, I thought that was like the net jet drama. Oh, okay. Oh. There was some net jet drama with the pilots that I saw. This some company is Adam. called this. This company, the, one, of the, one of its names is called Pilot. So that's where the confusion is. Oh, okay. So yeah, maybe it is the, I wasn't sure what the company's name was, but it's so bizarre to say like, we will pay 10 times earnings for you in 2024. It's like, there are so many ways to massage that number. So yeah, it'll be funny to see how this plays out. Basically, they... I believe Berkshire sued that. I don't think it was the person running the company because they technically had majority ownership. So Berkshire had their own CEO in place, but it was 
the outside owner had all these sweetheart deals with like particular executives or manage, managers that said like, if you get these deals over the line before the end of the year, I'll cut you, you know, I'll give you an extra bonus here or whatever. So could be, I don't know, but on the flip side, I think they sued Berkshire for saying that Berkshire was trying to depress earnings because of some accounting gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Like we're using real accounting now, guys. I think, uh, the easiest way to fix that is to just have a third-party auditor, right? They just decide it. That would just make sense in these type of deals. But yeah, they are sticky situations. I think that'll be interesting to follow. And it is a classic Buffett deal, I guess. he. This is one of the few where he missed, you, you know, he always says that I do handshake deals with people that I think I can trust. I guess this is one of the few that he made the mistake and maybe didn't, went with someone that was... It could have been Berkshire that makes them, made the mistake, but what what was some of those a bit sleazier? That could be the, the case here because typically they, they do these type of deals, which are more handshake-ish agreements, but it's with the the culture of trust, the seamless web of deserved trust, as uh, the late Munger loved to repeat so eloquently. Yeah. The I wonder if he's ever done deals like this before where he says – how much like what earnings multiple he will pay in advance because it's kind of a like you're just bound to run into conflict like obviously they're going to try to juice that earnings figure and you're going to try to depress it like i don't know it's not, yeah it's the not incentives, end well that's it yeah yeah the incentives okay we have a follow-up from tyler saying he just checked taiwan semi is at a ev to ebit of 13.3 trailing 12 months. I think that's a better bet if you're comfortable with the geopolitical risk. Nice. I'm not comfortable. I don't own it. But I think, you know what I mean? Because you, you yeah. this business is more understandable for Western investors, I think. Yeah, probably. I was looking at like, I don't know if TSM would fit in here, but I was looking at a dashboard like a general dashboard, general watch list. And the companies on that were Berkshire, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, Netflix, Apple, like the Magnificent 7 plus a couple. I just thought if that was my portfolio, I would stop investing. It's so boring. I find that so boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tesla, I don't think will perform that well. I think... Apple, I have worse expectations and the market seems to be pricing it. It feels to me like Apple just has no one that's going to sell it. Like the indexes own a ton. Pretty much everyone that owns Apple feels like they have owned it for a while and just have a huge tax bill that they might have to pay. I don't know anyone that's buying it. It Just a $3 trillion company, right? It's massive iPhone sales, I have a hard time seeing them grow above 10% from here. Hardware sales in general, I see having a hard time growing above 10% from here. So yes, could generate $100 billion in cash every year for the next five years. That doesn't make it that good of an investment from here. Uh, NVIDIA, no, you know what? I'll, I'll change it up from you. I'll put Microsoft in the underperform camp and NVIDIA in the perform well camp. All right. The AI boom see, continues. 
did you see Google's the Google Epic Games lawsuit news? I did. Uh, it says there's well, it's some big I guess risk for them, but I guess we don't know what's going to materialize. Yeah, I read into it a bit this morning. So, I guess first of all, they had secret revenue sharing deals with the hardware makers that like basically said like hey prohibit the other app stores from coming on and we'll give you a cut of the google play revenue they also had they also struck secret deals with every basically rival app store and said like we'll give you 10 million dollars in marketing revenue like we'll you know google will spend 10 million dollars marketing revenue if you shut down your app store kind of thing so yeah, guilty on all accounts. They were uh, striking deals that were anti-competitive and prohibiting other app stores. So yeah, they, they lost on all accounts. They said they're going to appeal the deal. Seems unlikely that they're going to win the appeal. It seems like on Android, it's going to be an open ecosystem that if you want to build your own app store, you can. I wonder what kind of benefit this has for companies like match group where they're potentially paying now way less on any other app store. I bet there's going to be a flood of new app stores that are like 0% fees or like 1% fees, something ridiculously low to try to just garner revenue. And if people download from there, I mean, or they use those billing systems, Match Group's going to be in a really good place profitability-wise. Well, a lot of their revenue comes from Apple's App Store, but they're going to be in a much better spot in terms of gross margins. Yeah, I think two things for me there. One, this is probably less hurtful for Alphabet because this is a tiny business for them and more beneficial for the mobile apps, that the big mobile apps out there, Duolingo, Match Group, the games, all the big games, stuff like that. And second, I would it would be hard to argue it eventually won't hurt Apple because aren't they doing why would you have one regulation for that one app store but not the other? It seems like the regulations are going to end up being similar. It right? was yeah, from what I was reading, a big part of it is that it's not for the most part it's not Google's hardware. So striking it was striking the deals like the backdoor revenue sharing agreements with the hardware providers was one of the big reasons that it was anti-competitive. So Apple doesn't have to do that. But my thought here is that like, if you're Google now, you can maybe even advertise like, Hey, all the apps you want, all the stuff you pay for in the apps, they can be whatever, 20% lower on our phones because like if the match group, for example, if Tinder plus or whatever the subscription is today, Tinder gold, if you can have it be whatever 20, if you're not paying the 30% commission, you've got 20%, you could potentially, you could shave off and still make that extra 10%. You can offer lower prices to people through other app stores, which you can do on the Google Play Store or not the Google Play Store, the Android ecosystem now, potentially, this hasn't all come to fruition yet. You can't really do that on Apple. I don't know if that's enough to draw people over to Android-powered, ecos- Android-powered devices, but 
I think it's pretty appealing that basically everything's 20% less, maybe potentially, uh, through, through Android's ecosystem. So it could ultimately even be a win in terms of like pixels growth. That's what I was going to say. It's going to incentivize, I think, Google to invest more in pixels, which I, frankly, they're already doing. Maybe they've seen this light at the end of the tunnel. I think like the, that's a realistic way that could, things could happen. I think generally what I'm more confident in is that no one wants these app store fees to be high except for the two app stores. And I think eventually people keep saying, well, I don't know. None of this ever actually materializes. It's been 30% forever and nothing actually happens. But I think eventually you have to expect that the fees are going to come down. And that, look, I believe according to, we don't have the actual numbers that are audited, but this is kind of just from reporting that the app store on Apple has like 60% margins, could be doing like 10 billion in earnings a year. Maybe even, that's not a bad, that's not an insignificant part of the business. Not a bad business. The, uh... It's a great, that's a great business. And I'm. it's shocking to me that they've, like, why didn't they just lower it to a smaller fee? Because it's not going to kill your business, but you're going to make everyone and all your stakeholders, ha- excuse me, happy. Yeah, I think Apple might still be in a decent spot because I, I don't necessarily see people switching, like switching from iOS to Android devices purely because there's lower prices in the apps, maybe. Yeah. I think people just love iPhones for whatever reason. And once you're kind of in there, you're stuck. Uh, but yeah, it, across the world, we're now seeing legislation or verdicts that rule against Apple. So maybe it starts to come down, but yeah, it would be something that I would probably do proactively. Yeah, it seems like maybe, but they're incentivized to keep it high um, for short-term profits. I don't, I would say as an investor, I would price in that, which is why another reason that I'm not attracted to Apple. And it looks like they're going to lose the Google search, Apple anti-competitive thing, which is a fat fee. Could be up to $20 billion a year. That's another risk that is, look, Apple could make it up somewhere else with another deal or doing their own search engine, but that creates a lot of uncertainty. That was a 100% margin, $20 billion payment a year. They had to do minimal work. And if that just kept going, that's beautiful. But if it, if it goes away, they got to do a lot more work. There's a ton of uncertainty there. And it stocks at 33 times earnings. Do you think that was probably just like a, they Google got $20 billion in mobile ad revenue or 25 billion, let's say. And they said, Apple will give you twenty billion. Uh, n- n- no, unless you're misinterpreting what you're saying there. Apple got thirty six percent of the search revenue. Google revenue, search revenue on Safari. Oh, so okay. they probably make like I don't know if I'm dividing it correctly, sixty billion, fifty five billion in revenue, which seems like a decently fair cut. But you could, I mean, it's it's clear how it's anti competitive. <laughs> Yeah. In a world where Safari is open to any browser. Well, it already is, right? I mean, you can change it. Can you? Yeah, you can change the search to 
Anything else? I didn't know that. The uh, it's just a fault. Do you yeah. think most people just download Chrome? Well, I mean, half download Chrome already. I, that's what I do because I like connecting it to the basically Google account stuff where I have all my passwords saved in Chrome, payments and stuff like that. So yeah, I think a lot more people download Chrome, but they already are. So Maybe it's going to be interesting could... how it shakes out. Yeah. I think we're running up on time, but it got a little messy after. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. looks like we did another 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I think that's probably whatever. If it's not exactly an hour, it doesn't matter. Uh, for anyone that's listening, hopefully we'll probably toss in something at the beginning saying that the stream broke, uh, but we got a good 45 minutes in there before, for some reason, the Zoom update didn't work very well. So sorry, Zoom. Sorry for everyone, but it shouldn't be too bad for the audio quality. Uh, these goes live every Thursday. If you want to ask us questions, join in the chat, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. If you like the show, uh, please share and tell a friend. I think that's a good one that Ryan mentioned that I'll probably say every time now and give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. You can listen to this wherever you get your podcast. Uh, let's go through the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan, I, and any guests on the show may own stocks discussed on this podcast, may have owned them in the past, and may buy, sell, or hold any of these stocks in the future. Thank you, everyone. And for the few asking the questions, and we'll see you next time.